0: The book of Romans, chapter 1. Last night we talked about the Lordship of Christ. And then Fred Zaspel came along and spoke about the same thing. You got a double dose of the Lordship of Christ last night. Very good. Went together well. And one of the things we emphasized was that the gospel isn't being preached until we preach Jesus Christ as Lord. Tonight we want to talk a little bit about Romans 1 and how the emphasis is on the creatorship of God. But first of all, verse 18, Paul begins his sermon with the wrath of God. In verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Paul begins with the wrath of God. That's the one thing that will not people will not begin with today, there are three basic attitudes that men have taken to the wrath of God. There's the typical unbeliever, he says, I don't believe in a God at all, but if I did believe in God, I'll tell you this, he would be a God of love, he would not be a God of wrath. Robert Ingersoll said that. And they just totally dismiss any idea of the wrath of God because it's totally foreign to their thinking. The second view is the liberal churchman who knows that the wrath of God is in the Bible because he's read the Bible once, but he doesn't believe the Bible and he hates the Bible and he hates the wrath of God. (coughs) He knows it's there but won't accept it. And he pits Paul against Jesus. And he says, if Paul would have only known Jesus, he would have never had his ideas because his whole idea was from the Old Testament, from the idea of the rabbis and so on. And therefore, he really didn't know about the love of God and he didn't know about Jesus. And they pit Paul against Christ. The problem with that, the God of Paul is the God of Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the worst problem is the Bible talks more about hell in the New Testament than it does about heaven. I remember being on a plane one time, I was trying to witness my Christian faith to a lady sitting next to me, she was a college professor, and she finally said very adamantly, my religion is the Sermon on the Mount. And I said, oh, then you believe in hell, a place where the fire is not quenched and the worm never dies. She was indignant and says, I do not. I said, well, that's in the Sermon on the Mount. I guess the next time she'll say, I believe in the Beatitudes. And she'll get in trouble there also. So the radical liberal churchman dismisses the view or dismisses the wrath of God because Paul was a Pharisee and didn't understand the love of God. He never knew Jesus. But the third group is the evangelical. And he knows the wrath of God is in the Bible, but he doesn't want to preach it. And he sure doesn't want to start it. He wants to start with the love of God. And if there is such a thing as the wrath of God, you sneak that in. You start with the saviorhood of Jesus. You never start with the lordship of Christ. That reminds me of when I joined the Navy and the recruiting officer. Everything he told me was true. But he didn't tell me all the truth. (laughs) But the gospel isn't like that. We're not supposed to try to sneak up on men and try to, by stealth, to kind of bring in the bad parts. But they're necessary. You must see yourself as a sinner. You must see yourself as under the wrath of God. That's the only reason you need such a Savior as Jesus Christ our Lord, who can propitiate sin. So these three attitudes to the wrath of God. If you could imagine the Apostle Paul being raised from the dead and he moved down to Third Street in Louisburg, and you can imagine the conversation between him and this Lord you imagine the conversation between the Apostle Paul and this guy that he lives next door to and this pagan would say to him Paul why do you keep on talking to me why don't you leave me alone I'm, 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 you are the most bigoted narrow-minded persistent individual I've ever known If you want to believe in Christ, you want to believe in Christianity, and it helps you, I'm all for you doing it. Good, go right ahead, but leave me alone. Why can't you leave me alone? And what would Paul's answer be? I can't, because I love you, and you're under the wrath of God. And nothing but this gospel that I preach to you can bring you out from under the wrath of God and bring you into a place of forgiveness of sins. wrath of God what did I ever do to deserve the wrath of God maybe maybe I'm not as religious as you are and, but, but I'm sure I've never done anything really really bad what did I ever do that's so bad that I'm under the wrath of God and Paul says you've committed the worst sin a man can commit and he takes into verse to verse 18 of chapter 1 in the book of the Romans you have suppressed the truth you have held down the truth you Have deliberately and consciously and knowingly turned away from the truth that God has revealed to you and refused to follow to where it leads, you are guilty of the wrath of God. The other guy would say, Well, Paul, you're pretty sharp, I guess, but I got a question for you. How about those who never heard the gospel? They can't be under the wrath of God. Surely a loving God is not going to punish people who never heard the gospel, who never heard the truth, who never had any revelation from God. How could they be guilty? And Paul answers that. He answers that by saying the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Why? Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. And then he talks about creation. He talks about creation. All men have some revelation from God. If there were ten things you had to know in order to go to heaven, and Gary George, you knew all ten of them, and this young man up here, he knew five of them, and the man next to him, you're a slow learner, you had (laughs) two of them. (laughs) The guy who Gary has ten, he didn't keep any of them. Is he guilty? He has five of them, and he doesn't have the other five, but he doesn't keep the five that he does have. Is he guilty? And he has two, and he doesn't keep the two that he has. What difference does it make if he has the other eight if he doesn't keep the two that he has? All men have revelation from God. Men have a revelation of creation. It's written in them. Man has the revelation of conscience. It's written in him. He is without excuse. So... Paul would say to this pagan, both you and your so-called heathen are without excuse intellectually and they are also without excuse when it comes to morality. When Paul is finished talking about this Romans chapter 1 and this awful slide into sin and says things that's almost a shame to say in public, Romans chapter 2 says, you will say to me then, uh, I better look it up because I'm going to quote it wrong, Romans chapter 2 verse 1, Paul will say therefore thou art inexcusable O man whoever thou art that judges for wherein thou judgest another thou doest the same thing and it's almost as if this is a reformed reformer individual a cultured individual he hears Paul talk about homosexuality about the awfulness of sin and he says give it to him Paul these potheads these drunkards these adulterers they deserve it give it to him give it to him Paul says, wait a minute wait a minute you didn't hear me you missed what I said all have sinned and come short of the glory of God you without exception are under the wrath of God and there's nothing can help you except this gospel we live in a post-christian society and when we preach the gospel to the society in which we live today in many cases we have to begin one step back now listen to me carefully John 14, chapter 14, verse 1. You believe in God, believe also in me. You believe in God, who's that? That's God the Father. You must believe in God the Father before you can believe in God the Son. You must believe in God the Creator before you can believe in Jesus Christ, His Son. The creatorship of God is foundational. Parents, teach your kids the creatorship of God. Teach them that God made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that in them is. He made everything. He is the creator. In John 5:24, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. That's God the Father Almighty. Our society, when I was a child, when I, to, when I went to school 60 years ago, if you would have asked anybody in my class, do you believe God created the heavens and the earth, they would have said yes. Not so today. They believe they evolved. Our society does not believe in any of the foundational things that are necessary to have a comprehension that makes it possible to believe the gospel. We've got to start one step back. We've got to teach the creatorship of God. And this creator gave his son to die on the cross. God so loved the world. In most cases you can't start with that verse. That verse can only help you to the degree that you understand who God is the God of the, when I say to a man God so loved the world God loves you his mind will go to his concept of God and if his concept of God is not the God of the Bible then that text cannot help him at all I don't care if the liberals God loves me or not I don't care if the God of most people love me or not but I want to know if the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ loves me Amen. we must begin one step back we are right when we insist that you cannot come to God except you come through Jesus Christ, his Son. But we have forgotten that the reverse of that is true. You cannot come to Jesus Christ until you first believe in God the Father Almighty. It is the, it is the fact that God is holy and just that we need Jesus Christ to bring us to the Father. When you lose the creatorship of God, you lose everything. Everything. I was at McGill University with a group of university students there for a weekend retreat. And as one boy was very, very hostile, very angry. He called me names and would say stuff to get a rise out of me, and if I would try to answer him with a verse of scripture, he'd say, don't give me any sentimental goo. Sentimental goo. (laughs) I want logical, rational answers. I finally looked at him and I said, do you believe in God? He said, no. I said, no God at all? He said, no. And I wrote on the blackboard, no God. I said, well, don't you believe in creator? He created the heavens and the earth. Don't you believe that? He says, no. I said, what do you believe? How does this world come into being? He put evolution. No creator. Evolution. Evolution. I said, well, how does this evolution work? How does it control itself? What guides it? How does it manage to bring us to the place we are today? Survival of the fittest. I wrote on the blackboard, survival of the fittest. I changed the subject. And a few few minutes later, I come back, about probably 20 minutes later, I come back and I said, Harry, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that I should treat a boy who only went to fourth grade in school whose parents are on about the third or fourth generation of welfare, that I ought to treat him as my equal. Do you think I should? Oh, he got mad. He cussed, he swore, he got red in the face, gritted his teeth. I knew you were a racist, I knew you were a bigot. I said, look, I asked you for a rational answer. I didn't ask you for your liberal goo. (laughs) I said, give me a logical, rational reason why I should treat him as my equal. And I pushed him, and I pushed him, and I pushed him. And you know what he finally said? Because you're both created equal in the sight of God. <laughs> I said, no, no, Harry, we settled that 20 minutes ago. And I pointed to the blackboard. You remember? We don't believe in a God, we believe in evolution. And we believe in the survival of the fittest. And I'm a lot more fit than he is. You know something, Harry? He uses 40% of our tax dollar. You know what I think we ought to do? I think we ought to shoot everybody on welfare. (laughs) And then shoot all of the mentally retarded people. And then shoot all of the handicapped people. Do you realize what kind of a society we would have if we didn't have to spend 40% of our money on these people and then just slough that off and get rid of that? We could build an unbelievable race. I said, you know, anybody ever tried that? He wouldn't answer. His name was Adolf. All Adolf Hitler did was take the theory of evolution and apply it to politics. That's all. I don't mean to be mean, but sometimes I guess I must get mean. I don't know. They tell me I must do that. But I said to Harry, I said, Harry, you're the guy who's causing all the problems. I said you tell me that my beliefs they're they're not true they're like phony money but you want to go out into the world and blood and guts of life the real world and you want to buy peace and forgiveness and joy and all of these good things and you want to use my money to buy it with after you've told me it's counterfeit your money can't buy it and you know it can't buy it look at the world world in the shape that it's in today I must treat that boy as my equal before God and before law. Why? Because there is a God in heaven who made him and made me, and he is my brother in the sense that he's my fellow creature, not my brother in Christ, but my brother as a fellow creature. He's made in the image of the same God that I'm made in. If there is no God to whom I'm responsible there's no creator to whom I will be one day judged you give me one logical reason why I shouldn't get all of this world's goods I can get if any way I can get it and use it for my own ends there's none there's none take creatorship out of the mix and there isn't any basis rationally to appeal for a good life or for helping others it just becomes a nice thing to do but there's no punch to it. Now Paul goes on here to say, and he talks about in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and non-righteousness. He's not saying the same thing twice. Ungodliness is man's relationship this way towards God. Ungodliness manifests itself in idolatry, and 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 crazy religions unrighteousness is our relationship with other people you become ungodly before you become unrighteous and you can only have true righteousness and true righteous behavior and attitudes on the basis of true godliness and that's what our society totally rejects absolutely totally rejects the idea that you must have godliness you must have religion in order to have truth in order to have good living they say no 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 that's not essential at all Why? Because man is basically good. We just need to bring out the goodness that is naturally in him. Take creation out of the mix, and there is no basis for godliness. There is no basis for righteousness. You cannot believe the book of Acts chapter 17 and be a racist. You cannot believe that chapter of scripture and ever believe in a racist attitude, you can't believe in the creatorship of God and the humanity that's bound together in that relationship. And you cannot solve the race problem without solving the problem of belief in the creatorship of God. Unrighteousness follows ungodliness. Now, our generation talks about righteousness even while it's denying God and godliness. All the world's problems are religious. What's our problem with communism? Our view of God, our view of man. Your view of man and your view of responsibility to man it grows out of your view of God and if you don't have a right view of God you can't have a right view of man and you can't have a right view of responsibility to man. America in one sense is more godly I mean more ungodly than is Russia. Some of you know Bob Salzman who works with Christian day school material he was invited to Russia by the Department of Education to discuss their material and see whether it could be modified and used and Bob said he was out to lunch with the head of the school system and he the, he asked him the, the man asked him a question and Bob says well you, you remember he says I was kind of hesitant and I was don't know how to say it but he says you, you remember this is based on the Bible And he said, the guy put his hand across the table and put his hand in mine. He says, you're in Russia. You're not in America. We're allowed to talk about the Bible here. (laughs) No nation ever says as clearly and as emphatically what they believe is important and what they want every one of their sons and daughters to believe in order to become the kind of a person they want them to become than the curriculum of their school. Is that right? The curriculum of your school is your country saying, this is what we believe is important. This is what we believe will make our children be what we want them to be, and we can do it without a single reference to God. In fact, you're not allowed to make a reference to God. Is that right? That's ungodliness. And that leads to unrighteousness. Just look at the streets and you see that. Now, verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, here's the phrase, so that they're without excuse. Creation and conscience leaves men intellectually and morally without excuse. Imagine if you and I worked in New Jersey and went from New York in the Brooklyn Tunnel Every morning. And every morning I said, isn't it wonderful and isn't it lucky that this tunnel happened to be here? And he says, what do you mean? Well, it just happened to be here. Isn't it, isn't it lucky that it was wide enough for a car? Isn't it wide enough it was high. What are you talking about? Reesinger, you're a nut. They ought to put you away. And I say, well, you don't believe that this could possibly just be here, no. But you will say that you believe that this big world that we have and this heavens and the earth that we have, that they just happen to be here. You you couldn't convince anybody that the tunnel was just there. See, man in his heart of hearts, he knows better. He knows better in his heart of hearts. But he will not follow the way it goes. He suppresses the truth. John Newton was not only a great Christian, He was also a scientist, and he had a friend of his made a globe of the world. And back then, they didn't have mass production. It was everything was handmade. And he had a scientist friend who came to visit him, and he saw this globe. He says, Newton, that's exquisite. I want one. I don't care how much it costs. Have the guy who made that for you make one for me. I don't care what it costs. Newton says, well, nobody made it. He says, what do you mean nobody made it? He says, well, it just happened. (laughs) He says, I come down, there it is. He says, nobody made it. It happened. And the guy says, Newton, look at that. Look at, the, look at the craftsmanship. Look at the workmanship. Look at the, you can see the evidence that this guy was a genius. No, 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 it just happened. And he says, Newton, do you think I'm crazy? Do you think I'm a nut? And Newton says, you mean I can't convince you that nobody made the little one and you try to convince me that nobody made the big one? <laughs> Because that which may be known of God is manifested in them. Because. One of the things you have here is judicial reprobation. God curses his enemies with riches. How does God show his wrath? The wrath of God is manifest. How does God manifest his wrath? One of the ways he does it is to give people riches and not give him a heart to use it for the glory of God. One of the most awful things is to have wealth, power, and not have a heart to use it for the glory of God. Do you think America is under the blessing of God or under the curse of God? And how would you know? How would you go about testing? How do we understand that God reveals his wrath? One of the things is the first mark is he withdraws the prophets and he gives them false prophets. Is that what happened in the Old Testament? The curse of God came upon them, the punishment of God came upon them in times of great prosperity and their hearts were turned away from God and they rejoiced not in the gift but also only in the giver. Go with me to the book of Amos chapter 8. Look at this prophecy. Amos chapter 8, beginning to read at verse 11. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I'll send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor of thirst, but of water, of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from the north to the east. They shall run to and fro, to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. In that day shall the young virgins, the young men faint for thirst, a famine of thirst. The young men, the best of your young daughters and sons will look for truth and they'll say, Who am I? What's the name of the game? Where's it at? That's our society today. There's a famine of truth. How many churches do you know that you have to drive past before you can find one that preaches the gospel? How many people drive a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour and more because there's no gospel churches. Where are the preachers that are being raised up to take place of the giants who have gone the day before? We live in a society that has totally become totally ungodly in all of its evidences. Verse 21. Because that which may be known of God, no, because that when, because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Now, when it says they knew God, that doesn't mean they knew him in the way of saving faith. But they knew him in the way that our nation knew God. Our nation, there is no such thing as a Christian nation. That's a figment of imagination. But our nation did... Knowingly, consciously, commit itself to Christian principles and the Judo Christian ethics. And you could say that our nation knew God in that sense. And we know that our nation knew God because we look at our coins. In God we trust. It wasn't the fundamentalist Baptist that stamped that on there, <laughs> that was your government your government put on every piece of money those phrases in God we trust your nation ordained I mean your government ordained a holiday called thanksgiving which was to consciously and knowingly accept uh, remember God's kindness and goodness and providence to them in those early years when they first came here we knew God but glorified him not as God that is as he revealed himself to be and they changed God whittled him down made him a God that they could handle. I get very impatient with people who try to deny that the United States once was a Christian nation in the sense of believing that this was the truth. Doesn't mean every one of them was saved. But you, you can't, you have to totally rewrite history, you have to totally rewrite reality to get away from the fact that we once knew God. But when you know God and don't reveal and don't glorify Him as He reveals Himself to be, that's the sin of sins. In verse twenty-one, neither were thankful. That's one of the first marks of departure from truth: ungrateful hearts. Ungrateful that God revealed himself. Became vain imaginations. Since you're going to have a contest to see who can create the best looking God. A vain mind. Vain thinking. Always precedes a dark heart. Always. Verse 22. of Romans. Let me get in my hair. Romans chapter 1 verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. Now, when they became professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. When they says they became fools, that doesn't mean that, that, that people who aren't Christians are fools. In the sense that they don't have any brains. You can be a genius in many, many fields. You can be a genius in the field of psychiatry. You can be a genius in the field of economics, engineering, pay to, uh, surgery. But you can also be the most brilliant individual in the world and be the stupidest religiously. And if you don't believe me, just look on a Sunday morning paper and all the things that go on under the name of religion. And that's what he's saying here. They became vain in their imagination, in their foolish hearts were darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools, and they showed their folly by their religious stupidity. verse 24 wherefore and that's what you read over and over again in this chapter in verse 23 they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible men and to birds and four footed beasts and creeping things and what does that say well they they take and they create an image of a bird but how does this belittle man to worship an idol is to say that the idol is greater than you are. This, this, these, these, these brilliant people create a situation where they're actually so belittled themselves that they don't think of themselves as great as animals. How stupid can you get? Verse 24, wherefore? God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to honest their own body between themselves. Now it says God gave them up. That doesn't mean God gave up on them and says, whoo, they're too much for me. It means he turned them over to their lust and said, if this is what you want, I'll just withdraw my restraints and let you do what you please. And when God lets you do as you please, that's the worst curse he can ever give you. You want to totally destroy a boy or a girl, just give them everything they want. And you'll just destroy them forever. And that's what God does in judicial judgment. He gives men what they want. He says, if this is what you want, I'll stuff it down your throat. He gave them over to sin. And they changed their bodies. Bodies which were made to be the temples of the Holy Ghost now become a joy machine that you push the buttons to get the nth degree of satisfaction given over to lust no longer able to know the difference between sin verse 25 who changed the truth of God and that really not as changed it's exchanged they changed the truth of God into a lie they wanted to do something but they couldn't do it because of their conscience and so they went to the pastor and they said what does the Bible say about this and the pastor shows them 10 verses And you think they would say, Well that's it, then I'm not going to do that. No, they go to another pastor. (laughs) (laughs) And the other pastor gives them the same ten verses. Maybe he only gives them eight. What does he do? They say, Oh she says that that must be wrong. No, they go to another pastor they keep going to another pastor to another pastor until they find one liberal and says well I believe it's up to you the Bible doesn't really say much about that in fact if it does it really doesn't matter it's up to you I knew it all along (laughs) and I was open minded but I sought the truth No, you look for somebody to agree with what you were going to do and you wasn't arrested until you found it. And that's what man does. He deliberately, willfully changes the truth as if he has a wooden nickel and he treats it as if it's reality when he knows it's a wooden nickel. And he's supposed to be smart. I get very impatient with some people. These people who, who, who have to find themselves. Oh, dear. <laughs> a woman, she leaves a husband and three kids to find herself. You know how to handle that? Just look them right in the eye and be very serious and say, maybe put your hand on their shoulder and, and say as sympathetically as you know how, with all of my heart, dear, I hope you're successful. I hope you're successful. I hope you find yourself. And then you'll realize what a stupid jackass you are. (laughs) Verse 26. For this cause God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise the men leaving the natural use of the women burned in their lust one toward another man with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their heir which was meat in their personalities manifested this change he's talking about homosexuality yeah. and you notice in verse twenty, it says even the women even the women the women, women are usually more modest than men but when this happens and when men turn away from God even the women even the women became that which is unnatural and they became impossible to enjoy the very gift of God that God gave in sex as a gift of God and when you turn it into a joy machine you can't enjoy the very thing that God gave to be a blessing it becomes a burden verse 27 or verse 28 even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge God gave them over to a reprobate mind well how would you even as they did not retain God in their knowledge that's in their system of knowledge that's what I meant a moment ago when I said a school system in its system of knowledge in its curriculum and we have said in our system of knowledge in our curriculum we don't want any have anything to do with God And we don't want to have God as an option. We don't use that to explain anything that we are, who we are, what we are. We don't believe that. But that's a conscious decision, and that's a decision by our country. I mentioned a moment ago, we have written on our coins and on our dollar bills and $20 bills and so on, in God we trust. That's government money. It's not legal if it doesn't have those words stamped on it. Is that right? but if a person in a high school or a grade school taught their children what that means and what those words means, they will be fired and that's the dictum of our own government. That's what it means to want no part of God in your knowledge, in your system of knowledge. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And then you read this awful verses and it's almost shameful to read them publicly. And you come to the conclusion of verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God, know better, certain in their hearts, they know better. Who knowing the judgment of God, that, which commit, that they which commit such things are worthy of death they not only do the same things but have pleasure in them that do them there are kids who hate drugs and wish with all of their hearts they get off with drugs and yet those same kids will get their friends hooked on drugs I remember years ago when I was a pastor here I was having a cup of coffee with a young boy, I, one of my classes that I was taking at Bucknell at the time and and he, he looked at me and he cried he said last night I helped to get some kids drunk for the first time in their life and he said I looked at them and thought of you how he said I looked at them and, and thought how how absolutely like dumb sheep they were and had an of, not an ounce of respect for it and he said yeah, yeah I kept on doing it I kept on helping and he'll do it again he knows better but he's going to do it anyhow because he has to do that to be accepted how many people do what they do knowingly knowingly not only do it but encourage others to do it when they know it's wrong and they hate it that's because they've been under the judgment of God well that's a depressing story and that's a depressing section of Scripture when you read through the book of Romans and you see that slide downhill. Once you start, you turn away from God, turn away from truth, turn away from the revelation that God's made of Himself. Then you just keep going downhill and downhill until you become nothing but a law unto yourself. And then personal needs become everything. My needs met, but the other trouble, the trouble is you want your needs met. And what happens when there's a conflict between your needs and my needs? Then who's the strongest? then it becomes might makes right and it's awful the debauchery that you read of in Romans but you see the same thing that's going on today the most amazing thing the most amazing thing is God loved a world like that and God sent his son to a world like that is that right And he sends you and I into a world like that. This is our moment of history. And the homosexuals, and the drug heads, and the potheads, they're the people that we owe the gospel to. That's what Paul said I'm a debtor. He started off by saying, I'm a debtor. I owe the gospel to this pagan. I owe the gospel to everybody. And this is the gospel that we preach, this Lordship of Christ, that in spite of this guilt and sin and shame and debauchery, there is mercy, there is grace. Isn't that amazing? Did you appreciate the last sermon from Fred? Amen. Amen. We have a great high priest who knows us and understands us, not only in all those trials, but also in the situation which we find ourselves in with the gospel. And we take this gospel... And we dare to tell the worst of sinners, the worst of sinners, we dare to tell them there is salvation from sin to everyone who bows their knee to this Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Is that right? Well, Paul goes on, and we don't have any more time, but he opens up the wonderful gospel. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. He is the propitiation for our sins. He is redemption. He is wisdom. He is righteousness. We have a living Lord, a living Savior, and a real gospel to preach. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel, the revelation of your righteousness. We thank you, as we heard tonight, how the gospel teaches us that the propitiatory work of Christ, it terminates on you. It terminates on your Character and satisfies your character. And we're sure tonight because we're sure that you're satisfied with us because we're in Jesus Christ. And we approach your throne robed in our righteousness. No, robed in your righteousness alone. We think of our sin and our shame and our guilt and all that would keep us from coming and we would bow our heads and weep in shame, but we are robed in righteousness. We need not come with shame. We come with shame for our sins, but we come with assurance that our sins are covered. We bless you. We thank you for this privilege. We look at our world. It's a world of sin. It's a world that's debauched with sin and shame and guilt and stupidity, and yet that's the gospel. That's the that's the world that you've called us to preach to. And some will believe. Some will believe. You saved us. You opened our hearts. And if you can save us, you can save anybody. Help us to believe that as we seek to witness your truth. No matter how bad this society becomes, help us to witness the truth for Christ's sake. Amen.